Amen. The scripture reading this morning for our sermon comes from Mark 1, verses 35 and 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to see you all and uh, chat with you guys and worship you guys this Sunday. It's a beautiful day. Um, to be worshiping together. It's great to know that we are still together, though we're quarantined, though we are worshiping in our home. Uh, we're still one church, one body, one family, um, and we're not going through this alone. We're going through this together. And so I hope you're staying uh, positive. I hope you're staying sane. I also hope you're staying a little bit productive, not, not just with work, but, you know, uh, staying active, going outside and enjoying the fresh air, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, working on some new projects at home. Jen and I uh, recently, uh, we've been working on our uh, side yard, and so uh, we've been just planning some new plans uh, with the help of a certain friend. But um, right now we're going through a series titled Facing Our Fears in Times of Uncertainty. And each week we're choosing a theme that speaks into our present experience and can equip us immediately. And today's the topic, today's theme, is prayer. You see, if you're going to make it through this pandemic, friends, if you're going to make it through this pandemic a better person, a stronger person, a more humbler, wiser, vibrant, enduring Christian, then you're going to need to pray. I mean, just in general, if you're going to make it through life, in all of its hills and valleys, in all of its ups and downs, if you're going to make it through life with your faith intact, you're going to need to pray. And uh, especially now, uh, you, your prayer life should actually have been enhanced because extraordinary stress requires an extraordinary prayer. And this is probably the one principle that, that is going by the wayside. And so today we're going to take some time uh, to talk about why prayer is so important, and we're going to take a look at three things. We're going to take a look at, first, the reality of the wilderness, and then secondly, we're going to take a look at uh, wilderness training, and then lastly, we'll take a look at the ultimate wilderness. So those are our three points. Uh, first, the reality of the wilderness. You know, our sermon takes place right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You know, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he kind of comes out guns blazing, performing all kinds of miracles, and then people are, are gravitating towards him, and then what happens? Right after we see Jesus arise very early in the morning while it was still dark to go to a des desolate place to pray. Now, I don't know why uh, in the New Testament this word, they chose to translate it as desolate place, but that word in the Greek literally means wilderness. And if you take a look at the Old Testament, you'll notice that the wilderness 
was a big part of Israel's history. It was a big part of their life. And after they were freed from slavery in Egypt, God takes them out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Now, you know, of course, uh, the journey from Egypt to Israel is naturally, the natural terrain is wilderness. But God reveals in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, he reveals to his people the ultimate purpose, the greater purpose, why they went through the wilderness. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Uh, before, before Moses dies, uh, Israel's on the verge of entering the promised land, and then Moses tells Israel this. You shall remember the whole journey that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. And here's, here's the key. Testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see, though the Israelites had experienced the grace and the power and the freedom and the salvation of God as he saves them from slavery in Egypt, their faith still needed to be tested. Their faith still needed to be strengthened in the wilderness. Uh, many of you know in 2016, uh, man, if you're, if you're a Golden State Warrior fan, uh, it was brutal, right? Um, we had a 3-1 lead against the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's practically in the bag. Uh, no one has ever lost a 3-1 lead in the NBA Finals. And what happens? The Cavs win three straight, and the Golden State Warriors, uh, they make history in a bad way. Uh, they experience, for the first time, uh, blowing a 3-1 lead ever in the NBA. And it was devastating. You know, I deleted my ESPN apps. Man, people were, people were hating on Steph Curry, on Clay Andre. I mean, I just, I was, I was in a dark place, right? Uh, I remember at that time, the church was doing really well, but I wasn't doing good, okay? <laughs> um, but uh, after they lost, um, you know, uh, the year after, uh, they, they, they experienced redemption, right? Um, and, and they beat the Cavs. And, and then someone interviews Bob Myers, the general manager, and they ask him this question. They say, Bob, after that 3-1 loss, how did your team stick together? How did your team stay the course, stay focused on your original mission and your original vision as a team? And Bob said, you know, you find out more about yourself when you lose than when you win. That's what he said. You find out more about yourself in the times when you lose, in the tough times, than when you win. Friends, isn't that true? You know, the Israelites are really a picture of, of, of us. When, when things are going great for us, uh, you know, uh, we think that, that we're standing on solid ground, that our relationship with God is great. But it's only when the going gets tough that we begin to see our emotions and our anxiety and our frustrations. They reveal to us what we've really put our ultimate hope in, our ultimate joy and peace in. The wilderness always reveals this. And if you go back and read uh, Deuteronomy, uh, you know, go ahead and read it. Uh, you know, it's, it's so insightful to the human heart. Uh, you'll see two types of people. Uh, you'll see people in the wilderness 
that were strengthened by that experience. And then you'll see people in the wilderness uh, that panicked and were hardened by that experience. You see, they were both experiencing the same wilderness. They were both experiencing the same things. But there were two types of people, and they responded in completely different ways. You see, when something goes wrong in our lives, uh, typically, it's, it's very natural uh, for our immediate instinct to fix it, uh, to see how we can address it, to see how we can control it, and maybe get rid of it. And some of that is really natural. Some of that is good. But there are times where things are outside of our control. And we'll continue to stubbornly rage at the wilderness. And we'll think that the wilderness process is unnecessary. And like the Israelites, you know, we'll start complaining to God. And we'll start looking for people to blame for what we're experiencing. We'll look to get out of Dodge and try to change our circumstances, change our group of friends. We won't have any peace then. And we won't have any joy and, and we won't have any strength. We'll change, but we'll change for the worse. We won't grow, but we'll harden. Uh, we'll grow bitter and cynical. And, and, and it's because we, we cannot imagine and we cannot see any possible good that could come out of this. But friends, by the grace of God, if you accept the wilderness as a testing process, as a strengthening process, and you place your faith in the wisdom of God's will in it, and, and you're willing to understand what God is doing and learn from it and pray through it and grow from it, then, friends, Jesus says that, that in the wilderness, springs of living water will flow from your heart. What is he saying? You're going to experience, while there's devastation around you, spiritual life, and people around you will gather around to get at some of that living water. And they'll say, man, there's devastation, but, but, but this place is different. There's joy here. Man, there's love here. There's a community here gathering, sharing, praying, encouraging. We'll experience life in the wilderness. You know, uh, salvation is about getting us out of bondage. Uh, that's what the word redemption means. And like the Israelites, God's greatest purpose for us is to give us salvation, to get us out of bondage, right? He saves us first uh, by grace through faith in Jesus, but then he's progressively working this salvation out, this faith out, by freeing us from the things that come back to enslave us, doesn't he? Right? It starts in salvation, and then it continues in this process that Jesus calls discipleship. And that is where, friends, we work out what we know and what we have out into the very details of our lives. In the way we, we live our lives, in the way we react to things, in the way we prioritize things, in the way we treat people, in the way we experience and endure the wilderness. Friends, um, we wish it wasn't like that, but there it is. You know, just living in this world, you are going to have wilderness 
experiences. Okay, the more you deny it, the more frustrated you'll be. The more you don't expect it and want it, the more your expectations won't be met. And so that's just the reality of, the, of, of this world. There are drier places than others, but life is really a wilderness to a great degree. Um, but through the wilderness training, friends, there is life. God has a greater purpose. There is spiritual union. There is spiritual growth. And I want us to take a little uh, more detailed look at, at this wilderness process, at this wilderness training. So let's go to the second point here, wilderness training. In verse 36, it says, it says this, Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Right, right. Jesus' ministry is taking off. Um, he's growing in popularity and fame. Uh, people are potentially looking to him as the next and upcoming candidate to be Israel's next king. But where is Jesus? He's not continuing to mobilize and gather people and, and accrue a massive, massive following. Where is Jesus? He's in the wilderness. You see, whenever Jesus performed miracles and, and he wanted to do these things, he was healing people. Great ca- crowds would gather around him. And, in, and, and, and even in Luke chapter 5, it tells us that Jesus would frequently withdraw, frequently withdraw to the wilderness to pray. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus is constantly, voluntarily going into the wilderness to pray. You know, one of my favorite movies is the Rocky series, all right? <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, not Creed, all right? Okay, so I may be dating myself, all right? I don't know how you got to go uh, to watch these, but the original Rocky movie was made in, 19- in the 70s, okay? But, um, and not Rocky Five. that one was terrible. Just Rocky one through four, okay? And, and in Rocky III, um, if you've never seen them, right, uh, Rocky is this poor fighter in Philadelphia. He's living in this broken down apartment, um, and he and and he and he's he has he's come from humble beginnings, but he p- becomes this successful fighter, and you know he he goes from training in sweatpants and in like uh, what is this um, in like freezers where he can punch frozen meat because his his cousin will let him in to train there, right? He goes from that to wearing three-piece suits, and he has his own gym in his home. He doesn't even need to leave his house. And his trainer, Mick, in Rocky Three, doesn't want him to take uh, this one fight with this challenger named Clubber Lang, right? Uh, yes, that's his name, Clubber Lang, and it's, and it's Mr. T. And Mick, Mick doesn't want him to take this fight because he believes Rocky will lose this fight, and Rocky doesn't understand. Why do you think I'm going to lose this fight, Mick? You know, we're going we're gonna to win. And Mick tells him this, and he says, Rock, you can't win, right? He says, Rock, you've gone soft. You've lost the edge. You've lost the hunger. He says, you've lost the eye of the tiger. This guy will kill you to death inside three rounds. Now, Rocky doesn't listen to his trainer. He takes the fight, and he gets annihilated. And uh, he is disgraced and shamed in front of the entire boxing world he he pretty much becomes a hermit he's depressed he's in despair he's he's told everyone he's he's done with boxing 
And then his friend Apollo Creed comes and he finds him and he tells him, Rock, I'm here to help you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to help you get back the eye of the tiger. But we have to go back to the humble beginnings. Right? And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He goes to the wilderness frequently to pray and to spend time with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and get outside of all the noise right, and all the distractions and all the things that are fighting for his attention and fighting for his thoughts and his energy. He's, what is he doing? He's going back to the humble beginnings to spiritually train in the wilderness. He doesn't want to get comfortable. He doesn't want to get soft. He doesn't want to lose that spiritual hunger and thirst and that spiritual eye of the tiger. He, he can't get comfortable, so he goes into the wilderness to train and to pray. Those are, those are synonyms right there, to spiritually train and to pray. That's why Jesus is constantly, voluntarily, frequently putting himself into the wilderness. And you see it throughout the Gospels. He's, he's praying um, for, for boldness and courage so that even though people are going to arrest him and, and people, people want to judge him and test him, that he would speak the truth, the word of God. He's praying for grace and forgiveness for those who hear his word, that, they, that God will soften their heart. He even prays for his disciples, right? Uh, in, in, the, in, in the Gospel of Luke, he, he prays for Peter that, that Satan wants to sift him like wheat, but he has prayed for him. And even though Peter will fall, as we see, he'll deny Jesus three times, he prays that he will bounce back and strengthen the church. In John chapter 14, in the high priestly prayer, we see Jesus prays for us, the church, the future church, that we'd be united. Friends, here's what this means for us. You know, on the one hand, God brings us into the wilderness. We can't, we can't ignore that. We can't avoid that. That is the reality of life. Life is a wilderness to a great degree. But on the other hand, like Jesus, we have to voluntarily go into the wilderness, away from the distractions, away from the noise, away from the comfort. And we need to spiritually train. We need to regain again our spiritual hunger, our spiritual edge. You know, as a church, we, we believe in the unconditional grace, in the unconditional love, in the unconditional forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ, right? We're saved by faith alone, in grace alone, through Christ alone. That doesn't change. But at the same time, in the book of Romans, Paul tells us that we're not to take advantage of this grace. We're not to get comfortable with this grace. We're not to abuse this grace. We're not to get soft with this grace. In Romans chapter 6, I have this for us. This is what Paul tells us. He says, what shall we say then? Do we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin would no longer be a slave to sin, for we have been set free from sin. We have died with Christ, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What is Paul saying? He's essentially saying, look, we've been given this tremendous grace 
this tremendous forgiveness and tremendous love. What happens, friends, when we receive that from each other? Do we just sit on it? Do we never say thanks? Do we not let that deepen our love for each other and our unity with each other? No, Paul is saying, right? He said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey. What is he saying? Don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Don't let the weeds just continue to grow in your heart. You've been set free from this. You've been given weapons and tools for this. You've been given the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Fan that in the flame for, for yourself and for each other. Get together and pray for each other and confess your sins and encourage each other and challenge each other and hold each other accountable and go to the wilderness and train. That's what we see here. There's a new reality. We've been saved. We've been given this tremendous gift of grace. But Paul says, you got to understand that you got to spiritually train and you got to fan that or else, you know, you're going to have atrophied. It takes a certain kind of awareness of the sacrifice that it takes to fight sin in the wilderness. And as we see it in Jesus' life, this takes prayer. Let's go to the last point here, the ultimate wilderness. You know, so we've talked about how the wilderness is this unavoidable part of life. It's, it's where God tests our faith. Um, but it's also a training place, right? It's, it's a place where we go to get spiritually lean, spiritually competitive, uh, spiritually wise. But here's the thing. Our circumstantial wilderness is just a symbol of the ultimate wilderness. You see, the circumstantial wilderness that we experience right now. Um, it's wilderness with a lowercase w. And it symbolizes a cosmic wilderness, a wilderness with a capital W. And the Bible says that's the wilderness, the great wilderness, the ultimate wilderness of sin. And there are many ways uh, to describe sin, but the Bible describes sin as the corruption of the good. Right, we all know and experience the corruption of the good. Sin, sin is described in the scriptures as the inability to do what is right and what God desires in man or woman, young or old, uh, new Christian or uh, old, uh, lifelong Christian, rich or poor. Sin takes no prejudice and preference. Um, sin is the real enemy, and we can all attest to this struggle in our lives and in our hearts, can't we? And in John chapter 6, verse, uh, verses 31 to 33, people come to Jesus to test him. They want him to do something miraculous to prove that he's God. Essentially, they're not following Jesus because he is God and he's the truth. Uh, they're following him because he's beneficial to them. He might be able to help, uh, help them get what they want. And this is, this is what John chapter 6 reads. Uh, people come to him and they say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. What do you give us? And then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, my father gives you now the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What is Jesus saying here? Well, he's saying, Look, what Mo Moses gave you 
is nothing. It's, it's peanuts compared to what, the, what God the Father is giving you right now. You need to think bigger. You know, it's like a kid uh, that's going to Disneyland and they don't want to go. You know, they don't want to get in the car. They don't want to leave their room. They don't want to leave their iPad. And the parent's saying, look, you're going to love this place. Trust me. Put down the iPad. You need to think bigger. You need to think deeper, right? What Jesus is saying is, look, the most essential thing, the most secure and the most unshakable thing I can give you is not to meet your circumstantial needs, but it's spiritual power, spiritual joy, spiritual peace, spiritual life, and eternal life. And if you have this, you can get through anything. But if you don't have this, you'll be forever stuck in the spiritual wilderness, in the wilderness of your sin, in the wilderness of your brokenness. And no matter how much you have, it'll crush you. Friends, the happiest people I know aren't the people who don't have any needs. They're people who have God as their closest companion. But how does this happen? How, does, how, how do we receive into our heart and into our life, and how do we experience Jesus, who is the bread of life, the spiritual joy, peace, union with God? When Luke chapter 15 Jesus says this. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Uh, that word or that phrase, open country, I don't, I don't know why um, the New Testament keeps translating um, the word wilderness differently, but like desolate place and open country. But that word there is the same Greek word for desolate place uh, in Mark chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 5 and here. In Luke chapter 15, it's, it's, it's Eremos, it's wilderness. So here's what Jesus has done. Jesus has left his throne in heaven and he comes into our world. He comes into the wilderness. And he's, and he's relentlessly tested but, he's, but he never breaks, he never fails. He's loyal and faithful to God completely. And he, and he never betrays justice or wisdom. He is the only person that is fully deserving of having our complete allegiance and our complete trust. He'll never let that down. And as the perfect king, Jesus voluntarily goes to the ultimate wilderness of sin to the ultimate wilderness of the cross. He experiences ultimate abandonment from his family and friends and betrayal. He experiences the ultimate pain and the excruciating uh, death of the crucifixion. He experiences ultimate injustice, the perfect and most righteous and holy God who is mocked and ridiculed and condemned to death. He experiences ultimate loss. He loses everything that he's ever worked for. And he gives all of this up, right? Because he voluntarily goes into this. And why would he do this? And friends, you and I know, don't we? That he does this for us. He leaves all the comfort in the glory, as Luke chapter 15 says, to go into the wilderness 
to find us, the lost sheep. We were worth it for him. On the cross in his death, Jesus puts to death the wilderness power of sin. And so we're forgiven. We're reconciled to God. We're given new life and the power of sin is weakened in our hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit. We live with Christ now. Though we die, we'll be raised with him later. And friends, this is how you experience living water. This is how you experience the true bread from heaven. This is how you experience the true life as you get reconciled to God and experience his forgiveness and his grace and his love and his security and his life for you. Now what this means, friends, is when we're united with Christ that we'll also have to go intentionally into the wilderness too. This looks different for everyone a little bit, but when we're united to Christ, we also voluntarily go into the wilderness. Uh, some go into the wilderness as, as missionaries or pastors. Um, some of us right now are going into the wilderness as health workers. Others of us are you know, calling people up, checking in on them, praying for them, uh, delivering things for them. You know, as a church, we go into the wilderness, even right now in a global pandemic, we go into this wilderness with the talents and the resources and the gifts that God has given us as servants to help those who are hurting and to share good news and hope and life and purpose in the wilderness experiences to those who are listening. Is there a sacrifice? Yes. But Jesus went to the ultimate wilderness of the cross for us. We've gotten a taste of that, haven't we? And so we're never the same. I just want to read Psalm 23 here. It's on the screen. Let me just read Psalm 23. We essentially sang this song uh, in the beginning of our worship. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, hear the voice of your shepherd. Rest in him. Get fed by him. Trust in him. Let your cup overflow by him and then follow him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious God, um, 
Father, we thank you that you are the true shepherd of our souls. Um, I mean, even Harry and I, we're, we're the shepherds of this church, but we are not the chief shepherds of this church. You are ultimately the chief shepherd of all of us here. And you are truly the one who feeds us. You are truly the one who has the power and the life to give us hope and strength and remind us of your wisdom of the wilderness and the tests in the wilderness that they're there to point us back to you. They're there so that our faith in you can be formed in real time in the reality of our lives, in the real experience of our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, wherever we are. We want our faith in what we know in our head. We want that theoretical faith, that, that spiritual faith that is actually real in heaven. We want it to be applied in our lives now. We want to become more gracious. We want to become less anxious. We want to become more steady. We want to become more peaceful. We want to become more positive and energetic and lively and vibrant. We want to become more enduring during these times of trial. But then, but then even from there, we want, to, we want to take the next step of maturity and we want to voluntarily go out into the wilderness and help those who are hurting and save those who are lost. We want to follow you out into the wilderness. We want to be prayerfully mindful and focused. We want to regularly train and block out the noise and the distractions and the things that weigh us down. Man, they, they, they consume us and they just, oh, they cause us stress. They don't give us life. We think they do, but they don't. They take away at our emotional health, at our physical health, at our relational health, at our family health, at, at our spiritual health. <sighs> help us to make clear boundaries and help us to pursue that as eternal, that which is true, as Jesus says, the true bread from heaven. Father, we can't take any of this with us. The only thing we can take with us to heaven after death into eternity is each other. And I am thankful that you are saving people at Risen, that we can be taken into heaven together. Father, help us to be committed to that. Plant seeds so that you can reap a spiritual harvest. We thank you that we don't do this alone. We do this through Christ who is in us. In Jesus' name, amen.